0: Welcome, everyone, to the debut episode of APS Radio on the Fire Engineering Network. My name is Jim Bernica. I'm typically the host of The 25 Life, which is a weekly health and wellness podcast. We'll be doing the same format here, but it's going to be on a monthly basis. It's going to be the third Friday of each month. Uh, my special guest this week is my old friend, Dr. Sarah Janke. So without further ado, let's bring Sarah in. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the debut episode of APS Radio. I'm here with Dr. Sarah Janke, the smartest person I know, but can't figure out how to hook up her headphones to her computers. Computers.
1: Everyone, yeah. it's one computer. Everyone has skills and mine just happens to not be anything technology related.
0: 40 minutes of my life, ladies and gentlemen, that I will never <laughs> get back.
1: But she, I sang almost the entire time.
0: She, she knows that I just got off a 36 hour shift where I got beat up on the medic and she knows I'm tired and, and yet she drags me for extra 40 minutes. So you're with that, I welcome. think we should just, yeah, thanks a lot. Let's just dive right into sleep deprivation in a fire service. How's that? First perfect segue. I,
1: I think that is a perfect segue. Uh, and I think that, gosh, there's, so I've been um, doing a lot of work around sleep and reading up a lot on sleep, and there's really no part of your body that is functioning optimally at this point in time. You said you had how many calls last night?
0: I, no, I, I had some calls. I had about a two and a half, three hour window where I was left alone. But other than that, yeah, I was that's up.
1: Not, that's not enough sleep. So, fun, fun fact. I actually do think this is a fun fact, but, um, there is, so, so like, how about, how much sleep do you think you need in a night?
0: Seven to nine hours.
1: Personally. Like if you, <laughs> I gave, know, I gave the
0: answer I was supposed to know. No. Uh, if, if I didn't know that, be how about beforehand, like rewind Jim Bernica back from a couple of years. Yeah. And I would have probably said six hours is suffice.
1: So you would think that, but it's actually not true. So there, you know how there are people are like, oh, I can just go on four hours of sleep, right? Or I can go on, I can go on five hours of sleep and I'm fine. So there is actually a gene. They've studied that to look if they're, they call it the sleepless elite. And they've said, is there, it, it, are there people who really truly don't fall asleep? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> you see the problem? It's not that boring yet. Um, no, this, so there are people that are the sleepless elite that can go on less than the um, eight hours. <laughs> I'll just go for a while. I'll wake you up when I need another question. I can Keep talk going. to I'm myself. Sorry. I can talk to myself for an hour. Don't worry about it. No, there are people who are sleepless elite that really don't need that much time. They found a gene. So they took a whole bunch of people who believed that they were sleepless elite and they put them in a lab. And they let them, like perfect sleep opportunity, you know, they had, it was the perfect sleep environment, and they let them sleep as little or as much as they needed to, and there were people who believed they were sleepless elite, who were, who really did not, regardless of perfect sleep opportunity, all the, the time to sleep in the world, only slept like four or five hours, and then functioned just as well as they would without it. Um, so they found a gene that those people possess that they think are, is, is the reason that they're just sleepless elite, But you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to have that gene. Isn't that a fun fact?
0: That is a fun so fact. Most
1: people, yeah. So most people, because I'll do that when I present that places, I'll say, you know, how many people think that you need less than five hours a night to sleep? And there are always a few people in the room and I'm like, I'm getting out of this room because that means lightning is about to strike. It's very rare. It's there, but it's very rare. But the challenge is, like, your sleep and lack of sleep affects everything about your cognition, the way you forget, the way you remember, all that kind of stuff.
0: not amazing? This, I, yeah, it is amazing. I had this, this discussion at the firehouse just yesterday, and it was uh, around the table. How many of us are taking testosterone shots?
1: I, I, what was the answer?
0: Half of, A of us. Lot. Half of us were out of six. That means
1: three. <laughs> 50% right there. Ah, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, so that's another. Okay. So also tied in both with sleep and the way like you actually see people who are not getting enough sleep, have more fertility issues, but then back to fertility issues and testosterone issues, fire service. That's one area that's getting a lot of focus and study right now. I know Denise Smith up at Skidmore, um, has put in some proposals to look at that because testosterone and, and well, on both sides, like any of the reproductive hormones, men and women, um, it's a lot of studies are being done on it just because it looks like it does affect, and is it like, is it sleep? Is it other exposures? Because there's risk of having too high testosterone and too low testosterone. Denise just put out a paper looking at, um, the cardiac risks of not having a, the right levels of testosterone. It's really fascinating. But again, that goes back to sleep too and how you're so the sleep and the circadian rhythms and the way you, um, I'm like hand dancing on your show, but the, the circadian rhythms of like, um, the REM and non REM sleep, it really does regulate every system in your body. So if you think about like how interrupted you, you didn't even probably get through two full cycles of sleep last night. So if you think of how interrupting those regularly, um, affects every system in your body yeah you're i mean
0: and it's two nights in a row of that
1: yeah well it's interesting because people ask about shift my one of my least favorite questions is um the impact of like a forty-eight, ninety-six, and those types of questions and and one there's just not great data out there which is why one of the reasons i hate you know i hate having to do an educated guess on anything but i think one of the challenges is When people talk about that, they'll talk about like, well, my department, it really depends on not, it depends not just on how busy your department is, but how busy the busiest house and the busiest truck or medic unit or whatever at your department is. So that's what people have to think about, is, is I think that when we first started studying this, because we actually did a couple of studies. We did one on excessive daytime sleepiness where we looked at the department level about what their shift was, their shift schedule. And actually, it doesn't matter what your shift schedule is at the department level. You really need to look at the individual and how many times the individual is up at night. We did find that linking shifts... Um, you know, and then there's there's overtime. Like we were talking about, one of the challenges is someone's got to be there to you know take care of grandma when she has a heart attack in the middle of the night or needs to be picked up off the bathroom floor. So someone's got to be up at night. But then it's like you got to do what what you can to mitigate that. Um, very best book recommendation, and I don't have it here. I don't think next to me, but um, Why We Sleep by Dr. Walker out of California. You didn't know you that
0: it? I come up props.
1: What?
0: I know. Yes.
1: Have you read it yet?
0: Not all the way through.
1: (laughs) But it's good, right?
0: I'm all over the place with books and reading stuff.
1: I know. I know. It's a challenge. But I tell you, um, finish reading that book and you will definitely – like I totally changed my sleep afterwards. I changed how I prioritized it. Because I used to think like, oh, I can get up early and work out because the benefit of working out outweighs the benefit of getting eight hours of sleep. Does not look like that is the case. Absolutely. So, but, um, but interesting thing, there is a Joel Billings who's down um, working out of Florida now, but finished his dissertation in Oklahoma. He did looked individually at people and he actually looked at sleep opportunity and he had some interesting findings around the time shifts started and that that might be. A way that things could be adjusted to help because if you think about like if a shift changes at 7am you're always getting up early either to come into work or getting up early to leave work so maybe altering the time that shift changes is beneficial
0: do you have a recommendation on that remember
1: so not well not a recommendation yet but it does look like i mean what he was looking at with the data is if you had like a, a change at like eight or nine i mean it depends on where you're at too right so there are a couple departments that have well i take that back i can only think of one department i know that has like a noon shift change um and i don't know that it needs to be that extreme but like if you think about if it was an eight or nine o'clock then you could sleep your full cycle in the morning before you get up to you know get all your stuff backed up and leave and then you wouldn't have to, I mean, it depends. There's some places where, like, I know I've been to places where people drive an hour into work and almost everyone does, you know, for like out in L.A. County. I, I met people who flew in to L.A. County to work. So, I mean, that for them, an hour change isn't going to be different. But imagine if, like, what time did you get off? 7 a.m. Yeah. Like, what if you'd gotten off at 8 or 9 and you were able to? Been a little bit
0: longer I mean selfishly for me it, the time works out to where I'm able to get home and tag my wife out and make sure I can get my oldest on the bus um, yeah so it works it works now that way pretty good for us um but around here it's there's six ams or seven ams there's eight ams and yeah. I and mean, that's just typical and it works and I think we're used to it but kind of like what you were saying it doesn't matter if I'm off and you know, one or two days or off for a week, I'm still getting up around the same time I would at work every morning, mm-hmm. five fifteen, five thirty. regardless of, if I have nothing to do. I'm still getting up because it's just, that's that habit.
1: It's not frustrating.
0: Totally frustrating. <laughs> totally frustrating. Like the, days, like the days of my youth when I could sleep in until like 11 o'clock, you know, they're just Super so amazing. they're gone they're way gone I don't know are you still there? can you still hear me? she's having difficulties again with her mic smartest person I know, I know can't handle the microphone
1: I I can't be the only person
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're you're up there how about now? I can I can hear you now.
1: (laughs) I I didn't even move; like I was just sitting here.
0: You have to stand or stay completely still during this show.
1: You're gonna keep thinking I'm frozen. (laughs) I wish I could talk without moving my mouth.
0: It's okay.
1: All right, I'm good. Sorry.
0: No, it's okay. Uh, It's sleep. Um, Yes. I've seen the. You
1: see the cognitive slowing you have right now.
0: A little bit a little bit that's okay we'll get through this and then i'll sleep and we'll be all right and i'll be all right
1: um so speaking of other sleep impacts yeah uh, and i'm not going to ask you about when you're driving home this morning but have you ever read or have you read in the book yet about micro sleeps like when you're driving
0: just where you do like mini mini nodding off kind of when you nod off yes Like gotta stop so stuff right
1: this is, yes. So this is fascinating. You know how you'll be driving and you have like that moment and you just like, even like there have been times that I've nodded. I mean, okay, there have been times where I've nodded off while I was driving where I like no knew that I fell asleep for a couple seconds. But even that like long blink where, where you're, so your body's trying to recover the sleep that you are missing. And those are called micro sleeps. And they can be like, it, it's only a couple seconds, but there have been some studies that compared microsleeps um, to – because actually, um, sleepy driving is one of the biggest cracks, and and they compared it to alcohol, drunk driving. And they found that in a lot of ways, it was actually more dangerous because when you're drunk – you'll see something like your reaction time is slowed. And so you'll try to like steer, you know, you see that a car is coming on, you're kind of trying to steer off. What they find with microsleeps is because your body totally paralyzes for those few seconds just to try to like grab on to some refreshment, um, people will hit straight on. And so a lot of the accidents that they see with drowsy driving are actually worse than accidents they see with drunk driving. So then imagine if you are both drunk driving and sleepy. It's ugly. It exactly.
0: ugly. Yeah, I've got about a fifteen. Minute. Not, Go ahead. Sorry.
1: I just was going to say I want to be clear. I'm not advocating that people should drunk drive.
0: No, I don't think anybody took it that way. And definitely not drunk, drink and drive as you're tired. That was yes, a take. That exactly. was a take home exactly. point. That was a take home point. A I take
1: home point. But also, don't drive drunk. No. I don't get, a, get like an in public. I like a walking public service announcement today. Uber is brilliant.
0: Ever since that became more readily available, I can tell you, at least on our department, the the DUIs, the accidents are way down compared to when I started 20 years ago. So that's a good thing. Yeah,
1: It is. It is. Although that's a good lead into the stuff we're doing on alcohol use too. Um, We did, when we did a study of the, this was in the Midwest. It was like twenty-three departments. And about ten ten percent—not ten people, ten percent of the 800, 799 firefighters we surveyed said that they had driven drunk in the previous um, thirty days.
0: And That's about a lot. half
1: reported, and about half had reported um, binge drinking in the last thirty days. That's a lot. It would be interesting to go do that now, though, and ask given Uber and all that kind of stuff, and see if that number's lower. I'll
0: just yeah. look at that in their
1: latest data. It's
0: more, it's much more convenient for the kids these days. I'm calling them kids because I'm old.
1: <laughs> kids, like they're, oh, me at, too.
0: You know, they're able to get on that, and it's no big deal. I mean, that that's just kind of their part of the part of the whole going out thing now.
1: You well, know. not right now, but in general.
0: Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that was not a that was not an option back then. You know, I mean, it was because no. calling a taxi was—I don't know—that was just yeah. It was
1: you would do the designated driver. That always worked out well.
0: It worked. I was that. I've been that before. Yeah. But the worst part about that is uh, being sober and dealing drunks.
1: Right. It's not really a lot of fun hanging out with a bunch of drunks if you're not drunk with
0: them no but um but then the
1: designated driver has to also actually stay sober which is a problem
0: i was i was part of that alcohol survey that you were yeah you were doing and i think i was early on to where um i was one of your test subjects like just to see how the questions related oh (laughs)
1: Were you, I thought you meant, you were early on where like, I took, we went out and drank a lot, which I think did happen too, but I think that was a different, that is a different thing. That was different. That was more like field work, case study type stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was And that was yeah. long, that was way long time ago. <laughs> anyway. we
1: so 16 months ago. <laughs>
0: yeah anyways no but i got this i got this call on, her going through um all these these questions and seeing if making sure they're relevant to ask all these other fire departments I, I was again the kind of the guinea pig and i felt like when i was talking to the individuals on the phone and it wasn't necessarily like i wasn't going over my personal experiences but i was just being involved in the department, being a peer supporter, um, and just seeing a lot of interesting things with firefighters over the last couple of decades. I think I, I don't think they were ready. I, I don't think they had any clue about firefighters and alcohol and how we even just how it works because it's to the point with some of these firefighters that they're able to go on shift not have any alcohol during that shift and function completely you know fine do well nobody has any idea and then those that time off as soon as they get off they can hit the bottle and then just repeat repeat hit it hard yes
1: so it, that was what I f- find really interesting and I had a hard time so we have um the team that's working on that alcohol project includes um uh one of the, the in fact the leader of, of it is really well known in the alcohol research world um but what's interesting is he kept going back to okay so like for job related incidents and the jo- and I'm like from early on in the qualitative stuff and just from personal experience I, you know it's like it's not that people are all showing up to work drunk. I mean, like, that's that's not the issue. And and that's what, like, even when we talked, because 10 years ago we were talking about this topic, and we were saying, like, tell us about the impact of alcohol in the fire service. And most people, even people who are, like, drinking at levels that are insanely high if you, compared to general population and compared to other occupational groups, when they come to work or coming to work sober, it's, I mean, there are instances... So, um, Don Abbott is doing some great work on Maydays, and he's finding that there are folks who are experiencing Maydays or having to call a Mayday, you know, 20 or 48 hours, 40, you know, 40 hours in a 48 hour shift and are popping positive for alcohol. So, there is, like, I won't say there's no one in the country who's drinking at work. There's, you know, there are some people, but most of the fire service is really able to keep their drinking just to really heavy drinking on the days that they're off, which is interesting. Because for, for most, I mean, and I think that's where you see, you know, if, if, if there's someone who really is struggling or showing up to work drunk, um, so that's definitely an issue. Or if you if there are people that have to have to drink while they're on duty to avoid, you know, being shaky and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like, obviously, that's, that's a whole other topic. But it is interesting how much of the fire service can really binge drink but then just be sober on the days that, that they're working. I, I, and we heard that all over the country.
0: And it was, it was, you know, one of the things I've learned um, not, not too long ago. And I, I think I passed it on too. that. They were just, they had no idea when a firefighter finally says, okay, I, I want to detox. I want to, I want to get through this, get past this. The typical person to detox is usually three to five days for firefighters. It's like seven or nine days. Because they're so used to, like, it, it actually takes a while because they're used to not working or be, or working their shift and not having any alcohol. And it's shortly after that, they start getting their cravings and everything and they know it's time to drink. There's that built-in delay, though. So instead of just it being instant, we have that delay and, and then we start. So it's just that we're completely, just like everything else, and you know this more than anybody, that we are just unique When it comes to so many different things
1: yeah well i mean you can't you can't be on the job for years and not have i mean so much about addiction and all those types of things are about like triggers and behavioral um like behavioral reinforcements and it's just so set up different for the fire service than most groups i mean even like back to the sleep thing and shift work You know when the early studies came out on shift work or the early like reports came out it was looking at because there wasn't research on firefighters it was looking more at um you know residents or physicians things like that but even that is just like a different it's a different animal so they're working shift work and they're up at night um but fire service you know you can sleep sometimes and not all you know I mean like and then it's within each department it's different within each station within each department it's different you know you've got the busy house and you have the retirement house and you have that so it's just um I think it's a lot I mean that's the fun part of studying the fire service is you have to ask every question a million different ways Um, but that's also the hard part of studying the fire service you have to ask every freaking question a million different ways absolutely yeah but it is interesting. And I mean, so much about, you are right. Cause so much about addiction is just what's reinforced in the environment and that, you know, you get cravings at, at certain times for certain reasons and kind of trying to navigate all that is interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about another subject that's obviously been, I mean, everywhere you can't avoid it. Uh, and I know you were telling me that, You've done lots of work on it recently. How about let's talk about that magical world of COVID.
1: I thought and you it, were going to say politics. You're so I excited. I don't want to talk about that.
0: <laughs> no, I, no, no politics on APS radio. No,
1: I, I am perfectly, perfectly um, fine with that. No. Uh, so, okay. And you, I, you say that you see me getting excited. I will say from like a personal is a leak. As a as a person living in this world with a family in this world, I feel awful for everything that's happening. Like, this pandemic is horrible. Um, it has these you know really like significant negative impacts, and so I'm not at all excited about it on that front. As a scientist, this is like amazing. Like it's freaking hating. This would be like if you went do to... no, no 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 no. Hear me out. Like this is like. If you went to the biggest biggest worst fire you could ever imagine that you got to fight like like most amazing like seventy seven alarms i but, but you like it is sad that people are in danger, but this is the coolest thing ever uh, not cool in like a not cool in like a i'm excited people are getting sick and and i died. I get what you're saying, but <laughs> In terms of, like, the most complex, like, you get to, like, be command on the coolest fire you've ever fought. That's what this is like for, for me. But, um, and for other scientists, because I think it's so cool, one, I think what's amazing is how fast the um, data is coming out compared to, like, it used to take two years to get something published. Now, like, JAMA, New England Mer- Journal of Medicine, like, the big, like, i published one time in jama so far and it was like we went back and forth for months on like this change and this change now like they're publishing data that was collected last month like the speed of change on that's fantastic so yeah we just got funded on a project assistance to firefighter grants has the under fire prevention and safety has this research and development like tiny little pot of money over there um but they've done awesome stuff with it like and so many dedicated scientists that are looking into topics in that area but we just got funded to do some research on COVID and to do kind of like a a combination so an ethnographic study to look at kind of how is this evolving in the fire service how is it impacting people we just had our first stakeholder call and it was really cool to hear the different perspectives about like um places where it hit early versus places where it hit late and what resources were needed because Like this likely given globalization and ease of travel and that kind of stuff will likely not be the last pandemic that we have to deal with. And so looking at like one, um, from an ethnographic approach, how can you address those things? But then also with a piece of like community-based participatory research, like how can we impact and what things can we provide as a research community to those departments now? We're also doing a piece that's a... um, A financial and economic piece. So we're working with an economist that just joined our team um, and looking at how it's impacted the finances of fire service because obviously hugely impacted. Then we're also following up with our we have a, a study we did a few years ago on a behavioral health. And we have, like, three years of behavioral health data, so we're going to be able to look pre-COVID at mental health impacts and post-COVID and look at, like, were there predictors of who handled the stressors well or who didn't handle the stressors well? How do you build resilience around specifically, you know, this type of – because this has been a stressor that's unlike any other stressor in our history, right? Right. so, looking at those types of things, and then also looking at, we're working with Lori at the International Public Safety Data Institute and looking at shifts and calls. So, you know, we know that um, she put worked with some groups that put out some publications early on about, you know, people were like, there were less car accidents than their stay at home orders, obviously, because people, less people are out in their cars. Like, um, but then she looked at like the shifting, which was pretty cool about like where calls are being responded to and those types of things. What we're going to start looking at is doing a, um, oh, what's the word for it? It's a special kind of data analytics where you do, like word processing, data analytics type stuff, and you look at, we're going to look at the shifts in um, types of calls. So we've seen, again, not excited about this on a personal level, very tragic on a personal level, scientifically fascinating to look at the shifts in calls like opioid overdoses because people didn't have access to their prescription medications and so how did that adjust and how did that lead to more maybe more overdoses? Um how it looks like we're seeing some upticks in things like domestic violence calls and you know those types of things where people are home. I mean makes I mean think of the number of people you know getting divorced right now. I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like there are a lot of people going through that right now. Um so like shifts in those types of things. And then in turn, how does that affect the fire service, like if you're responding to, to domestic violence calls or child abuse calls or you know, something like that, is that having an impact if you're seeing that? So, we're going to be able to, like, that is an empirical question if I've ever heard one. So, that's what we're looking at um, next, which I, I again is very tragic, but on a professional side, it's also very exciting. There is some good, that's the silver lining.
0: How long do you think before you actually have some information that you'll be able to pass on to all of us?
1: So we're we actually are starting um, we're starting kind of with the qualitative piece and probably we're going to start collecting that about in January because we've really like played around with timing because you don't want to ask it too soon because. We're still like seeing. So I think we're going to wait till we're kind of into this spike so we can get the latest and we can ask. We don't have to go back and re-ask some of the questions. So we're thinking about at, we're, our last stakeholder call we were thinking about after the first of the year. So we'll be able to see kind of the follow some of the spikes. But man, this um, looking at the data on where we're headed this fall and winter is oh! my county had to redo the chart. Because it was, <laughs> because it didn't go up high enough. And then the next day, they had to redo the chart again, because our incidence rate was so high. I mean, my, my county's going like they're, I, it, it's stupid how bad we're doing. But, um yeah so we're looking at after the first of the year and then we're also looking to um, try to get that out as fast as possible so instead of like waiting for all the peer-reviewed publications and that kind of stuff i mean we will publish in the peer-reviewed literature but we're going to try to get some stuff out faster than that too so and trying to ramp up in coordination with that and in response to kind of what we're seeing with um you know not being able to do as much you know presenting and that kind of stuff we're really re- going to work on ramping up getting stuff out in smaller usable chunks um so through like social media we're we're working on um you know getting our studies as they're published more readable for the fire service so that kind of stuff too that's awesome yeah so after the first of the year but i would say we're ex- the expectation for speeding up response to this is also so i mean it's not uncommon you see data that's published you know five years after it's collected because it takes forever like you got to analyze and clean and then reanalyze but this is like you just have to work faster now so so we're going to work fast
0: do you have more help for this than you usually would because of the timeliness
1: (sighs) we do yeah we added a few other people on um to the team and then we're doing a lot of partnership with with other groups just because we're, you know, we're trying to collect a lot up front and get as much out. Because, you know, and then the other challenge with um, with COVID with the fire service has been, like, what are best practices? And then also, on top of that, I had a great conversation with the chief the other day where he's like, there are some things that we never thought about before that we should keep on. Like, even once COVID subsides, I mean, his, he, his example is he said, you know, we... Never used N95 masks. He's like, when this hit, we were like, do we even have any of those? And we had some like stored somewhere. And he goes, you know, we should be tracking like the flu, and we should be not exposing our folks to the flu. So maybe there are other mitigation strategies that we should use for other things on the behavioral health side of this, because there's been a lot of talk about like how you take care of yourself, how you take care of your family when you're in this really unique situation. But probably there are some things that should be. Um, provided in non-pandemic times and then also on the side of like the telemedicine and that kind of stuff are there ways that you can adjust who what calls you go into or who's going into a call if you're going into a call where you think someone is likely infectious does everyone need to go in or you know like it's just how are different departments shifting stuff and, and how you know how are you testing or are our departments testing your folks how is that set up what information do departments need and is that information that they should have had all along about different you know either the next pandemic that comes or even flu like there is i do appreciate that there's increased awareness about how dangerous the flu can be um obviously like the infection rate's not as high as it is for covid but like that's probably something that your department could be looking at. And if you can kind of track some of those things coming in and work with the health department, um, could you decrease, you know, illness and absenteeism uh, and, and presenteeism, you know, where people are coming to work sick, could you decrease that in general? Like those are all kind of some key takeaways too. So, and then just best practices. I, you know, Frank Lito's went on our team and he's doing a great job of kind of keeping us, us focused on, um, you know the impact of some of the shifts in terms of what people are seeing and the challenges of of what they're seeing but you know he he was like i'd love to see what other departments are doing and you know i always feel like frank is doing um everything you know i mean he's so dedicated to everything he can do health and wellness wise at um and especially with behavioral health up at FDNY, that he he, he talked about it as having such an impact and he says, you know this is you know he sees this as Mental health-wise, impactful like nine eleven was like it's just a total, you know, overwhelming type of thing. So, so how can you know we can? How can we package what's worked for some places and, and move them over to other places? I mean, you can see I get very excited about this. Yes. <laughs> maybe maybe too excited, but I'm only excited about this in like a professional way and a personal way. Again, tragic, awful, awful, awful.
0: It. it... It made me think back to when I was with you last year and I let you introduce me at, at a conference and I gave you the, op- I gave you the, a free reign to tell a story and you shared a story and I completely forgot about it, but it's so, it's, it was completely perfect for what you just went through. That
1: Back when you said that you think I'm normal sometimes, no, so I'll tell it, Go so ahead. we're in, this is the. So this is the first time. So we just left this big meeting and Jim was going to drive me to the airport. And he, we, so we're just, you know, like we'd, we'd had dinner together and stuff like that, but we start talking and he's like, so ask, you asked some random question. I don't remember what it was about. And I just got like, it was some, like my, I could, my response could be like totally data driven. And I was like, so there's da, 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 da. And he just started laughing at me. And, um, Remember, you start laughing at me, and I go, what, what, what? And I'm like, did I misquote a study? And you go, you seem so normal. And then you get on these topics, and I, like, forget that you're smart. <laughs> Jerk. It's true. Sometimes you, said, and it, and you, you just, talk like you're so smart.
0: It's still true to this day, as as no, now our, our audience can attest. Like, she actually is pretty normal. <laughs> like, you could... You could talk about whatever. Uh, nothing, no new pop culture stuff that doesn't work well. No. But else, no,
1: that I don't know.
0: Normal, but then like it's like a switch.
1: Flip.
0: <laughs> and she'll start quoting studies and everything
1: else. So what's funny is when I used to do, um, back in some of our early like epi studies, you know, we'd spend a lot of time just hanging out in fire stations consenting participants and stuff like that and got great data from it, but Um, I would get that a lot and the number of people who have said like, you know, you really don't seem that smart, or or they would go, you, you have a PhD, you don't seem smart enough to be a doctor and I'm like, and because I'm not cussing today, which I made a note on my to myself that I'm not allowed to cuss I won't say what I did say to them but I was like, "Uh, thanks, and they're like, no, 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 I mean it like as a compliment, I'm like, I don't seem smart as a compliment. And they're like, no, no, just like you seem like a normal person. Like I am a normal person. I just happen to be someone who can apparently appear smart if I want to. That's <laughs> all right. It's okay. It's all um,
0: right. Let's talk about something else that is going to get you excited. That's going oh. to get that's going to get my our audience like worried not worried but going uh, it's gonna make them sad Do you know oh. oh you know want to talk about now ask I... no you don't know well let's talk no, about well, now I'm... let's talk about firefighters and reproductive stuff reproductive issues.
1: oh that that's where i thought you were going but then yeah. i was like oh gonna make them sad what are we what well, is that puppies. well
0: no because Notice. it is no this is sad i think what you're what you're gonna talk about i think is screwed up like for firefighters i think we all have the attitude of do whatever to me like i'll take it i'll deal with it and yeah but like leave my kids alone and my family alone like that's should be off yeah. limits but the stuff that i know you're gonna talk about doesn't really say that.
1: I well I thought you were going to say let's talk about sperm was ha- where you were headed with that which is what we're going to eventually end up at but that, that um, probably would have
0: been easier. <laughs> <than> I, <said. laughs> I know you're going to get excited. Uh, let's talk about sperm. Talk
1: about sperm. Okay, so again, tragic on the um health side, but so yeah, so there's some stuff. So we we looked at because there's been a lot of questions around women and the fire service and like risks to reproductive health. And um, was that my family members looking and I I told them leave me alone. But um, so there have been like looking at reproductive health. They, they heard health the concerns. sperm word, and they're like, "What again?" Um, but <laughs> that has created a lot of interesting conversations. As well, when I'm like, oh, I mean, I had the most interesting meeting about talking people to, to people about sperm and my husband's like, uh, no. <laughs> uh, no, so w- what we found, so the question around, we had started with um, women in the fire service there's been a lot of question around like reproductive health of women. So worked with a lot of great groups. Jeff Burgess's group out of Arizona has been looking at, like, he, he was studying the safety of breast milk and, and things like that. So we did a large survey looking at women's health in general. And um, some of the most, like, startling findings were around things like um, high rates of miscarriage among women in the fire service compared to general population. And it's because we ask questions a little bit a different way than um, than the other surveys out there. Like an exact increased risk, we can't can't do like an apples to apples comparison, but we do know that it was higher. I'm looking pretty much across studies and somewhere in the range of of double, if not more than that, for rates of miscarriage across pregnancies. Um, Jeff, in case anyone's interested, has looked at the safety of breast milk. He did that in a small pilot trial initially, and he was still showing increases at 72 hours of, of carcinogen exposure and so initially suggested pump and dump for 72 hours. Repeated the study thinking, you know, maybe that with a larger sample thinking maybe that was just kind of a, a, an artifact of, of whoever it was that he collected data from. Um, still showing as long out as we tested, which was the 72 hours, was still showing increased carcinogens in the breast milk at 72 hours. So um, Definite risk there, but that then also has sparked some conversation. That and some some um, conversations with people about like, hey, are there effects to to children of firefighters? from exposures. So there's a couple different ways to think about it. There's, you know, just the, you know, do you come home with carcinogens on your body and then you're, you know, if you're not showering at the station or washing your clothes at the station, are you bringing carcinogens into your car for volunteer firefighters? I mean, I grew up with dad's bunker gear in the back of his Ford Explorer and it never didn't smell like smoke. Um, So if it smells like smoke, there's carcinogens present basically. So there's that kind of exposure. But then there's been this increasing focus on is there an effect for reproductive health for men? Is there an effect for um, offspring? And so we proposed a study. It wasn't funded, although you you have to often propose these things several times before something gets funded. But looking at um, BYU, Tim Jenkins is studying um, sperm epigenetics and looking at the impact of Exposures on sperm, and there's some evidence to suggest, like not in the fire service yet, but there's some evidence to suggest that there might be an impact for, um, like maybe higher rates. The we're hypothesizing higher rates of things like attention deficit, autism spectrum disorders, things like that. There was a study um, or an EFO report that was done out of Washington that found there was a group of firefighters who had a high rate of. Um, cancer in their kids. And so there was a question around, I mean, the rate, the rate was high in that group. Now, is that generalizable? Do we know we'd have to have a really large um, sample because, you know, childhood cancer is pretty rare, but there is some question around, do we see increased risks for negative child health outcomes? There was a study out of, um, oh, I think it was out of the Netherlands. It was a a group of Nordic firefighters, I believe. I could be wrong about that, but, um, they looked at fertility treatments and they found when they took firefighters out and compared them to other other occupational groups, firefighters, male firefighters were 46% more likely to be getting fertility treatments than other careers. So it does look like some of those exposures, whether it's heat, whether it's carcinogen exposure, whether it's shift work, because you see, you know, you see fertility issues with shift work because of those interrupted circadian rhythms. Um, it, or a compilation of all of them is hard to know, but um, you d- you did see an increased risk for we are seeing, I guess I should say increased risk for these things among firefighters compared to general population at this point. Yeah, so not we don't know news. I mean no. it's an empirical question it's not it's not good news um, i although I will say you can spice up a presentation when people are starting to you know, glazed eyes when they're talking about reproductive health and then you're like let's talk about your sperm it gets people paying like close attention to what you say it is
0: a showstopper i think i'm just going to start opening up conversations like that (laughs)
1: let's talk about your sperm so it's interesting though i did talk to um dr jenkins you know the the researcher at byu and, and he said i said how does that go over at um Because that's his job. He studies sperm epigenetics, like full time. And I said, "How does that go over?" And he goes, "It makes for some really it it makes for some awkward dinner conversation. It usually stops the conversation. Like, because like people ask me, like, what do you do? Like, I study firefighter health. And they're like, oh, tell me more about that. What does that mean? Um, yeah, he's like, yeah, when I say I study sperm, it usually not not much yeah. no, not many places to go after I that i make
0: that i make that kind of joke too when i talk about it, i never knew i was going to say scrotum so much
1: right right well it,
0: and i got to say it all the time with a straight face
1: yeah yeah one practice. of the postdocs that works with us um she was like i can't because we had to. you know we asked a question with some recruits like Actually, so it was really funny. We, did, we had just done this focus group with the department. It was a group, new recruits, all, I mean, they all looked like babies to me. They just seemed so young. But one of the questions that the research team had had in designing it was how much, like, what type of reimbursement or, like, you know, stipend would you need to give to get people to donate their sperm at different points in time? So before they were ever exposed to a fire and then after they were exposed to a fire. Um so I said oh I you know doing a focus group with a couple of new recruit classes um at next week let me ask them so we do our our focus group ask all these questions and gave them t-shirts we have these like nice tri-blend t-shirts that we give as thank yous for participating in um in our studies as a as a incentive and um I said you know what what would it take so I said okay so this is a different conversation but We have another study coming up and I told the team that I would ask so we can, you know, we're trying to figure out budget. And I go, so if we, here's the study that we're doing. I start talking about sperm. Well, first of all, the postdoc that was with me, like her eyes, she goes, I can't believe you said sperm in front of a big group of people. And I'm like, I mean, like I'm saying it in a scientific way. Like I'm not, I'm not just like, Hey, let's talk about your sperm. Um, But she was bright red. Uh, there's a, We found that there's a whole list of words that she feels very uncomfortable saying, so now we find ways to, you know, introduce them into everyday conversation, like, well, you know, in the uterus, <laughs> she turns bright red, but, and that's not cussing, that is actually a, a body part, Um but this guy in the back he was so straight face stands up raises his hand and I'm like yeah I'm like you know yeah would you because the team's like do you give like typically like $100 or you know like it seems weird to pay for sperm but that's not really what you're doing um, so this guy stands up in the back and he goes ma'am I would say that um, these t-shirts are really nice <laughs> maybe another t-shirt and I'm like you give me sperm for a T-shirt? All right, <laughs> on. So I got to report that back to the team, and we were able to fit that into the budget quite nicely. So apparently, that's the going rate for I think, well, service recruits. I was going to
0: say, I think he took advantage of that. <laughs> it it they are
1: really nice T-shirts.
0: No, it could have been. It could have been something probably a little bit cheaper, even. Like it could have been like.
1: Do you think like a challenge coin?
0: Here's the Snickers. <laughs>
1: You don't know, I yeah clonike, I mean, clonike
0: Bar. What would you do for a Klonike bar? I would give you my sperm.
1: <laughs> then you have to keep those frozen. That'd be a pain.
0: The sperm or the Klonike um, bar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is God sounds fast. <laughs> Let me, let me um, ask I you this. Because yeah. I, I actually, have some other jokes, but I'm not going to share them. You see how well I'm behaving today?
0: You are on the best behavior. <laughs> she is. She is. Um, uh, what's just surprising, like, because when you do talk, like, when you're live, like, they do, like, if they don't know you, they think you're prim and proper, and then you start just like throwing them out there these words, just, and it's like, whoa. And it's they they just look at you differently, like she's again, she's smart, but yet she's normal. she has
1: a potty mouth
0: <laughs> she's one of us
1: i try I try sometimes I go through periods where I'm trying not to cuss as much, and I just am not very good at it. It's not in my skill set
0: it's how it's so. how you deliver things you just can't <laughs> you just can't say it, but if you use it sparingly, it's more impactful, right.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, sometimes that's just like the appropriate word for the situation. You know, Sure. I try not to like use it all the time, but sometimes you just like you, you, we want to, there's a study on that actually, but yeah. Um,
0: oh, I'm imagining so, yeah, you sometimes... would know a study about that.
1: Hold on, hold
0: on, hold on. Before we even do that, I just want to ask you this because I just, I thought of it do you have a wish list of things that you want to study that you haven't got to? I mean, cause oh. you, you've, you're now hitting these areas that have just, I don't want to say ignored, but um, they haven't had the attention to it that they, they should have. There was more stuff, I guess that was in a bigger scheme of things that had to get figured out. And now yeah. we're working on all this other stuff. Like the reproductive stuff is huge. Um, What's your wish list?
1: My my um professional bucket list. Yeah.
0: That's what sure. I like to
1: call it. Yeah. Uh yeah, I have a whole list of things. So some of my some of my on my list. One, like the next thing I wanna really get dig into is the sleep stuff. Because we know like we have some foundational work from awesome groups that have done like, you know, we know high rates of sleep apnea and that kind of stuff, but I think the sleep and trying to measure sleep is like, that's not, that's definitely on my list. Um, another thing that's on my list, and this is kind of a big thing. So in terms of like how I will get there, I don't know, but I think we've done, I think we need to do better about measuring behavioral health in the fire service because so often, so like you think about behavioral health and what the concern is in the fire service, we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress injury. But if you look at what those like actually are in the fire service, typically when you measure them, like DSM-5 looks at, so the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which tells you like here's what meets diagnostic criteria for PTSD, um, it typically asks, about a traumatic experience someone has been exposed to now i understand that the new version or the newer version coming out will talk about like repeated exposures but it's not exactly that. Like, people aren't having a flashback. Sometimes they are. So, you know, sometimes there's, like, that acute experience. But for the most part, people talk about having flashbacks to, like, their worst calls. And they have, like, their 10 worst calls. Or they have their, you know, people talk about, um, you know, seeing someone that they had coded. Or, you know, when they walk, they're walking down the street, and they'll see kind of, like, a, a flash or something. And it brings up, like, all that stuff that's coded in your mind. I want to do a better job of defining what that is and measuring it because I think sometimes we don't see exactly the relationship we expect between variables and I think it's because we haven't asked the right question. I'd also like to have a better measure of like sleep because most of the stuff that's out there like we altered the excessive daytime sleepiness scale to ask how about on duty and off duty but it's just different for a fire service right because it's you know you it, it asks questions like, do you wake up in the night? Well, yeah. If I had nine calls last night, I woke up, but we don't ask in the absence of having a call. Do you wake up? So I think some of them like, and that's, it's a total like nerd answer, but we need to have some psychometrically validated measures that do a better job of measuring the things that we want to ask. So I want to develop some measures. I want to be able to look at, you know, can you develop measures that are better predictive of, of outcomes, because then I think once we're able to measure it, we're able to know like exactly what touch points we can intervene on. So that's a big one. Um, and started conversations about that. It's just, I mean, that kind of stuff, that kind of work is hard and expensive to do. But I also really want to dig into women's health and women's um, behavioral health and like really getting in on the topics around diversity and inclusion and looking at You know, the one of the big questions that um, or what I wouldn't say question, I would say one of the criticisms like we just put out a we did a study where we looked at behavioral health in women. And you do find across the board, if you just look at women in general, higher rates of things like um, anxiety, depression, that type of thing, which I was like, I've talked, I did a lot of interviews with a lot of women. Um, and a lot of focus groups, and this is like a uniquely strong group of women that end up in the fire service. So it didn't wasn't like gelling with the qualitative data. So we did a study where we looked at, we divided into tertiles the dis- experiences of discrimination and harassment. <laughs> I realize what you're saying about really standing nerdy but it was so cool because the data on it was awesome so we looked at low medium and high levels of discrimination harassment and stratified it that way and then looked at those variables and we found like almost just this beautiful data that showed the women who were experiencing depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress like Almost like it was like a linear relationship where the more you experience, the worse your outcomes were. So the women who were brought into departments and treated poorly, like 49% of them, 49.5% of them, I think, were experiencing in the clinical, were, were reported being in the range of concern for, I think, depression and anxiety, something like that. The low end of the scale was like point, almost point on where men in the fire service are. So it's like if you bring women in and you treat them very poorly, they are going to have very poor outcomes if you bring them in and you treat them like you like the the you you treat them well you don't treat them you don't discriminate or harass you don't bully them they actually are no more or less screwed up than men in the fire service which (laughs) is like always relative I you know like
0: hey you're no less screwed up than us
1: right right right. i say that I say that with love, but we also saw the same thing for physical health. Like they were more likely to be injured and more likely to report sick days and those types of things. So it's like, it has a very significant um, mental health impact and physical health impact. So, where we really weren't like our first study on that was like, let's just start to kind of get the same assessments. They tended to be a really healthy group rates of obesity were higher, lower than the general population, lower than women and in, in other occupational groups, lower than men in the fire service um, tended to be really fit in different ways often than men, but really fit. And so I think, so that kind of led onto, okay, so let's talk about like diversity and inclusion and treating people well and making sure that people understand that, you know, ostracizing someone from the group, whether intentionally or not. And I think we're going to see this for men. We have a survey out there right now, but we haven't collected it. We haven't analyzed it yet. I think we'll see the same thing for men. Like if you, so much of what's protective about the fire service is what happens around the kitchen table, right? Or in the day room or in the, you know, sitting on the back of the rig. And I think we now have the empirical evidence to support that if you rob people of that, it has a very real and measurable impact on mental health and physical health. So uh, that's kind of a next area that I want to go into. But we talked, so we put together, like we have this, what I thought was a beautiful um, uh, little uh, lead up to a a training that we've developed on diversity inclusion. And one of the first comments on it was, oh, great, diversity inclusion, so we're going to lower standards. So, I think we need to look at that. Like what is that what does that mean that we're lowering standards? And then how do departments like why do we have departments that aren't hiring? When we asked people about how um consistent the the measures were on like physical health, like 95, 96% of the women we surveyed said that those were c- consistent across um genders and so like there's yeah, which makes sense right like you have the cpat like and that's been occupationally designed to be like can you do these things that you might have to do on fire um so that where they're falling out of the hiring process is not have, did they pass that or not but in some of the, the questions and tests but an interesting thing about some of those questions is that they don't and we tried to get like psychometric um Properties on some of the tests that are out there and have yet to be successful doing that. We were um, contacted companies that that do it and and were not able to get that data. But um, looking at like, so what are the questions that they're asking? Are they pulling for a specific group? Are people scoring high because they just actually have the the best skills or the best you know the best mind or the best whatever? Or for the job, or are they pulling high, like, because they've been around the fire service? Like, I heard one question um, from one test, someone was talking to me about, like, how would you breach a door? Like, that's something you should learn in recruit school. The only way you would know that is if you were kind of like a legacy and you had been around the department and you had been around fire, like, that's not something you should have to know on the test. So you shouldn't get points for knowing what you're supposed to learn in recruit school. And so then it's like, well, does diversity even matter? Like, does it, why not just have everyone? look the same and there's some great data and this is another bucket list is to look at does diversity even matter some of the preliminary data from other occupational groups suggests that it definitely does um and and that there are benefits to having a more diverse group and people say like oh you know sometimes i'll be in a in a department and people will be like well that guy or with the crew and the, they'll be like well that guy can break down the door and i'm like that's awesome Sometimes you have to break down the door, but how many doors do you really have to break down? Who, you know, which person on your crew is able to crawl under the bed and get a little kid that's hiding out? You know, if no one in the crew can fit under the bed, that's a problem too. Like there has to be diversity. So, and if you look at what firefighters and first responders are responding to, it's, rarely fires now so there are also like all these other kind of softer skills we call them but you know other skills that people need to um to be able to be the most responsive for on all calls and so you know if you show up at a domestic violence call maybe a woman who's abused is more likely to talk to a woman than a man. i don't know you're like those are all empirical questions so those are almost my bucket list things we could spend an entire session on my bucket list i don't you don't want to do that but
0: it gets yeah, you excited it gets you happy
1: oh my gosh there's just so many questions left to ask yes that's true i always i always get a hard time in fact i was just doing a deposition for a um uh trying to get coverage for a um firefighter who died of cancer or first family I guess and they said they pulled an old the other sides pulled an article um and they're like well in this article you said more research needs to be done and I said I've never written an article where the discussion didn't say more research needs to be done like there's always more research that needs to be done every answer leads to 20 more questions
0: and then it's so. uh, yeah I would say that too if I was a researcher
1: well, it's job security. Hello.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: It'd be like if you were like, "Oh yeah, no, we should, um, we should do away with uh, with um, with emergency response. No, because then you wouldn't have a job. There's always <laughs> another question to ask.
0: Self preservation.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Whatever. All
0: Someone's right. Got to do it. I think our time is about up which is at least for the recording part. But um, thank you so much. You need to
1: get some sleep.
0: I'm going to. It's going to be all right. I know
1: it is, but you got to take care of yourself.
0: I'm going to. I'm going to. I didn't know that I was going to be working overtime before I ended up coming and doing this.
1: I know. I know. Well, I'm glad I didn't bore you to sleep. It was close. close. (laughs) I saw, I saw a couple of microsleeps there and just thank God you're not driving. You should just, that's how you should have done it. Yeah.
0: No, um, no, I really, seriously, it was great hanging out with you. I'm glad you were able to join me on my debut episode where it's just, I, I mean, we went over stuff, but more than anything, it was just cool to hang out with you and have a conversation as always.
1: Always fun. Always fun. And I went through that whole time. I thought one curse word.
0: It's true. Now, really? the rest of the day, she's going to make up
1: for it. She's gonna make up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I I didn't even say the words then. I'll say them as soon as we hang up.
0: Yes. No, that's good. She's Dr. Sarah Janke. I'm Jim Bernica. And uh, this is APS Radio brought to you by Fire Engineering. So, all uh, you listeners, I'll uh, be back. It's the third Friday each month. So, thank you, Sarah.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Right, you too.